There we go. I know it's always awkward to come up and interrupt this because I just love hearing life and conversation, and I feel like I'm like, I'm like pouring water on the party, but I guess we got to get going at some point. Uh, my name is Paul. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I get to serve as the executive pastor. Um, people ask me sometimes, like, what does that mean and what do you do? And I, I kind of go back to the Forrest Gump movie. Any Forrest Gump fans out there? There's this line that pretty much where Forrest, you know, is, you know, is asked, what is your sole purpose in this army? And he says, to do whatever you tell me to, drill sergeant. And that's kind of my relationship with Rob. Um, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. <laughs> like, for those of you that know Rob, that is like the opposite of the way he is. But no, seriously, I'm, I'm here just to help uh, serve the church and the way we kind of put it is make the vision a reality. So Rob really tries to set the pace and the tone and the vision of the church. I've come in over the last five months to help then help us get going on that and lead the staff day to day, which is such a joy, and just to help make things happen. It's been so great to get to meet some of you and to get to be a part of the church, and I get to actually lead us in the Word today. Rob will be back with us next week as we dive into Daniel. Today, we're wrapping up who we are, and to get going, I want us to do something a little different. You're going to need either a phone or your bulletin, and if you have your bulletin, you can maybe use like a pencil in front of you or a pen if you have one. We're going to take one minute, and I want you to answer this question. What makes you, you? Um, and like, I'm not asking this like in a very philosophical, like, you know, need to really abstract answer. I mean, just like, what makes you, you? What makes you unique or kind of who you are? So like, in examples of things you could do is like, if I'm writing this, you know, one of the things I probably would write down is that I'm a husband and I'm a father. That's part of what makes me, me. But I also could include my, my Enneagram, you know, on there, potentially personality. I might say that I'm a huge Cubs fan. That's a lar- large part of where my suffering in life has come from. Um, <laughs> no, uh, but seriously, just take one minute. What makes you, you? Write down anything you want. It can be sentence style, list style, whatever you want. Take one minute and uh, let's do that together. Just take maybe 10 more seconds, 10 more seconds. All right, well, we're not going to have an awkward moment where we all stand up and share (laughs) what we said or anything like that, but I had us do that for for probably at least two reasons. Number one, um, whatever you wrote down, you know, could be great, but there's some things we're going to go over today in God's Word in First Peter two. It's going to really talk about the identity of the church, like the the corporate people of God. But 
if you are a believer in Jesus, you're a member, not just of like Redeemer, but you're a member of the capital C global church. And so those are also things that are true about you. And as we get to those, I would just encourage you, whether it was on your phone or that piece of paper, the bulletin, whatever you did, if you didn't write down the things that we're going to say today in 1 Peter 2, write them down. Because I would actually argue that, argue that the things that we're going to go over today are more at the core of who you are and who I am than even things like I'm a dad or I'm a husband or I'm this Enneagram or this Myers-Briggs profile, whatever else I could say. So part of it is I just want you to write these things down as we go through to say this is at the core of who you are as a believer in Jesus. The second reason is I thought it kind of set up well for the series we've been doing called Who We Are, really with this sense of what makes Redeemer Redeemer, like what makes us unique from maybe other churches in our, in our vision or our strategy. And what, what I want to do right now is just get us caught up. I, I was thinking last night that this is kind of like uh, Lost, the, mo- the sorry, the movie, the uh, TV show. Any Lost fans out there? See, oh, it's such a great show. Started rewatching for the 19th time, um, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, and just started tearing up again. Don't judge, um, you know, at different points. But what they would often do at the beginning is they would say, "Previously on Lost," and they had to kind of catch you up in the story um, in case you had missed some episodes, or even if you had been there, there had been a lot going on. And so I feel like what I need to do for a few minutes at the start of this is catch us up on what we've been going over in the series just for a reminder of who we are as a church at Redeemer, um, and then it kind of then propel us into today. So over this series, we've just talked about, hey, what is our core vision and mission, and how do we do that? So I'm going to put what the first two of the one, two, three, four of Redeemer up there. We're not going to go over the three and the four. Um, you can find those on the website, but here's the one, two of Redeemer, the first two big things. One vision and two goals. We hit this really hard the first week. We said, we want to see everyone everywhere experiencing the gospel. Everyone, no exceptions. Everyone. Young, old, different races, ethnicities, different backgrounds, people who have grown up and around the church, people who hate the church, who don't believe God exists. Everyone, no exceptions. Everywhere. So we want to see people experience the gospel, not just in here, although we do want that to happen. We want to see people experiencing the gospel in their homes in coffee shops, in their workplaces, in their friendships. And that's where I'm just going to go ahead and kind of give a hint here. That's really where so much of all of us come into play because a lot of the times here on Sunday mornings, we're limited to a few people like I am or Pete shared earlier some vision for you or Rob usually does sharing the word or sharing vision during announcements. But we really believe that we weren't called to build up an audience, but to raise up an army of people who can then be people through whom other people experience the gospel. And so we want every place that you're stepping throughout the week be places where other people are experiencing the gospel through you. Okay, so we want people, everyone, everywhere to experience the gospel, but we have two goals that really need to kind of put feet to it. We want to make disciples that make disciples and plant churches that plant churches. So as people become believers in Jesus, they become disciples of Jesus. They're learning how to follow after Jesus, how to live under his grace and to live for him and in him. But, but we wanted to see people not just be made disciples, but those people then go and make disciples themselves. Uh, we didn't do this. Well, we did do this in the last service. We're not going to do this in, in this one to kind of keep a little bit tighter on time. But I put up a graph that just showed how um, if we just, let's say you and I were in a discipleship relationship for a year. So it's just you and me for a year. But then at the end of that, I said, okay, 
as I've discipled you, now I want both of us to go and disciple other people. So now there's four people that are in kind of discipleship relationships. Let's say at the end of that year, those four went in and it became eight and so on and so forth. What I showed was that over 16 years, if everyone did that consistently, if everyone, as they were being made a disciple, then went and made another disciple, in 16 years, 64,000 disciples would be made. It's crazy. But that's the potential. That, that's why we don't want to just make disciples. We want to make disciples that then go and make disciples. And those disciples will believe will plant churches. And in those new churches, in those new places, guess what those new churches will do? They'll make disciples that will make disciples that will then go plant churches and plant churches. You see where I'm going with this. That's our goal as a church, and that's our vision as a church. Now, ways we do this. Rob, I, I told him I love this triangle. I'm going to like frame it in my house somewhere in my office. But he, we made this triangle to kind of say, okay, that's great. Practically, what does that look like at Redeemer? Okay, how do we actually do everyone everywhere? How do we accomplish the that? We do it through three main ways. If you can't read that, I'll read it out for you. Corporate worship, biblical community, and intentional training. Corporate worship. We want Sunday mornings to be the best day of everyone's week. Not, not just because Rob got, got up or someone got up and gave a great sermon or someone you know, sang really well on stage. We want it to be a place where we lift up King Jesus, where we say, Jesus, you are the most amazing thing in all creation. And you have saved our souls, and thank you. But we also want this to be a place where we connect with each other. And so, as Rob said, and even as I said a minute ago, we love when we just hear the chatter going through the room of people connecting. And, and I think this past year and a half has showed us that, oh, Gathering together in person is so huge, and it's so necessary. So we want to be a people who regularly gather together like this, but we also want everyone in here to have their people here. And so sitting in here together in pews is awesome, but what we then want people to do is go from sitting in a pew in a row to go and sitting in circles in a living room or at a coffee house or somewhere where they're getting to know specific people a little bit better. We want everyone here to have their people here. Okay, a few ways we do that. Uh, GCs, gospel communities, uh, great for like groups of 10 to 20 to maybe even 30 people. We had one, I'm looking at Pete right over here. We hosted one in my house because we're getting one going. Um, I'm renting a house right now in Linden, and so we're getting one going there. And we had like, what, probably 20 to 30 people with kids there too. And it's just a great place if you don't know people yet or if you're looking just to kind of have like a tribe, it's a great place to get it. Um, but another way we do it is called a DG, a discipleship group. And what that is a great for is gender-specific, really good for three to four to five people, accountability and ongoing Bible reading and discipleship together. Cool. Uh, we also do things like men's and women's events. Here's what we tell people. You don't have to do everything. Because <laughs> I've got three kids that are playing basketball and doing horseback riding and all the other stuff that probably you have going on in life too. And we may not have time to do everything, but here's what we do want for you, not from you, but for you, is we just want you to have your people either in a GC, DG, wherever it is, we want you to have your people here. And I, and I said that, and I think I probably should have said this at the beginning. All these things that we, we give to you guys sometimes of, in announcements or all that I'm saying now, this is not a checklist of things we want from you. It's what we want for you. Like we believe, as I'm looking at Pete again, as you mentioned about serving, we believe that when you use your gifts in serving, it not only benefits others, but something will come alive in you, and you'll see God transforming your life as you do it. We believe as people get into community, they are made more and more into the image of Jesus and they mature in Jesus, which is a big thing we want to see here. Getting it so far? So corporate worship, 
biblical community, but then intentional training is one that we think that as we get into following Jesus, there's specific things that you and I may not know how to do that we just need to be trained on. And so Pete earlier mentioned the PDP, a personal discipleship plan. A lot of us don't know how to get going and actually walk with Jesus day in and day out, so we have that. Uh, there's other things we're going to have coming up in our Daniel series. We're going to be tackling issues about, man, how do I have um, a biblical worldview? How do I see the world through God's eyes? We might do some training on that through some classes or some courses. We might talk about having a beautiful witness in the Daniel series, and how do you do that? How do you share your faith with others? We do occasionally intentional training to help us know how to be better followers of Jesus. Okay, So following me so far. You guys on the same page? Well, this is like more and more of who we are as a church. Now, but what I want to do to close out our series is really to come back to who we are, not just as Redeemer, but as the church, period. Like capital C, God's people, church. Because I think if we're not careful, all the things that I just called us to, I don't know about you, but they, they, like, they fire me up. I'm ready to get going. I'm ready to do all the things that we need to do. I want to see people made disciples. I want to see churches planted. I want to be in community. I want to serve. All that's great. But if we're not careful, it'll be about doing a lot of activity, just doing a bunch of things. And it won't be flowing out of our identity of just who we are as people of God. And as Christians, who comes before do? Christians do do certain things. Like we actually do certain things. We have activities we do. But the who comes first of who God has made us to be. And what we're going to do is read this passage that is rich with terminology about who we are as the people of God. So what I would love for us to do, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, um, verses 9 through 11. Although I might add in um, 12 as well, but we'll at least go through 9 through 10 or 11. We mean 1 Peter 2, as you're flipping there, let me kind of set the stage a little bit, and then we'll all stand and read this together. Um, Peter is writing to Christians who have been spread out over the Roman Empire, and he calls them at the beginning of the letter exiles, not because they've been kicked out of their country, but because they're not really at home in the Roman Empire because they're the marginalized people like, they don't believe the things that the Roman Empire does. They don't act in all the ways the Roman Empire does. So they're a little bit marginalized. And Peter is writing to encourage them about all that Jesus has done for them and all that he has made them to be. And that's what we're going to pick up in 1 Peter 2. If you will, please stand with me as we read God's word together. This is God's holy, precious, life-giving, life-transforming word starting in verse 9 of chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I'm actually going to have us pause there. I know more is on the screen, but I'm going to have us pause there. Let me pray for us. Jesus, right now, would you speak to us clearly? Give us ears to hear what you are saying. Give us eyes to see things in your word. And Lord, give us a heart to submit to anything that you tell us to do. And give us the grace that transforms us. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. I want to introduce um, a quote to you that I found as I was studying for this week that I think just really well captures, captures really well, I should say, the idea of our identity as believers um, and as the church. 
but then also gives a good structure, I think, that you even see here in 1 Peter 2. This is what John Piper says for us. He says, as a Christian, and I would actually, by the way, say as a church or as the church, you cannot talk about your identity without talking about the action of God on you, the relationship of God with you, and the purpose of God for you. So let me, let me say that again. As a Christian, or I would again also say as the church, you cannot talk about your identity without talking about the action of God on you, the relationship of God with you, and the purpose of God for you. Love that. And what, what I want to do is kind of even use that structure because I think you see these things in the text and also earlier in 1 Peter that I want to draw out. I, I will say after I did the first service, it went a little long. That's why coming to the second service is great because you get like, you know, like my do-over in a sense, right? And so I'm going to probably go a little bit lighter on the purpose of God for you and talk also in, in uh, verses 11 and 12 that I didn't read. It talks about being sojourners and exiles. I'm going to leave that off partially because Rob and the book of Daniel is really going to dive into that pretty deeply. So I encourage you to come back for that as we go into that. So instead, I want to focus more on the action of God on you and on me, both as individuals and as the church, and his relationship with us. So the action of God on us. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's so much in that one sentence. Not a lot of words, but there's a lot of background. Let me ask you, have you ever thought or reflected on your identity, who you are, apart from Christ? You're maybe not like, even familiar with that phrase because in the last 10, 15, 20 years, what I've noticed a lot in kind of the Christian world in the West is a huge emphasis on our identity in Christ. By the way, that's so important and so huge, not just because it's biblical, but also because identity is so crucial, like in our Western construct, and so it's an important concept, but sometimes I wonder if we've actually sometimes forgotten what our identity was apart from Christ, who we were before Jesus came into our lives and transformed us. And so I just went and found a few verses, and I'm just not going to read the verses, but I'm just going to kind of allude to the things that Scripture says about us when we are apart from Christ. John 8, 34, apart from Christ, I am a slave to sin. Apart from Christ, I am dead in my sins, Ephesians 2, 1. Apart from Christ, I am guilty and condemned because of my sins, Romans 5, 16. Because of my sins, Romans 3, 23, I fall short and I have fallen short of the glory of God. Because of that, Isaiah 59, 2 says that I am separated from God apart from Christ. James 4, 4 says that apart from Christ, I am an enemy of God. So yes, I'm broken. Yes, I have my dysfunctions. Yes, I have my failures. But it actually says that my attitudes towards God... It's hostile. I'm an enemy of his. Romans 1.18, apart from Christ, I'm under the wrath of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, apart from Christ, I am blind to the truth. Also, apart from Christ, I'm deceived. 2 Corinthians 11.3, and I am not a child of God. I'm a creation of God. Everyone in existence is a creation of God, but apart from Christ, we're not his children. That is what we are apart from Jesus. Just sit for a second in the weight of that, for, in the weight of two things. Number one, if you're a believer, what you were. And I will say, if you're not a believer in Jesus, this is what you are currently. That's weighty. It's hard even to think about. But the good news is that it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. 
there's more. In fact, um, I, I, the closest I've come to getting a tattoo, and I've come very close even the past two months. I might get one um, soon. My wife and I have talked about it. So if you know a great place I should go, please let me know. Because a tattoo, if you're going to get one, you know, you want to get the best. It's not, you know, it's just you want to get a good one. So anyways, um, the closest I've come is actually from, it's, it's a couple lines from Ephesians uh, chapter 2, a couple words I should say. And um, in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, it's all about who uh, you and I are apart from Jesus. So it says that at one point you were dead in your sins, and you were following as a slave after Satan, and you were a child of wrath. And so on one arm, I was going to get child of wrath. Someone said do it here because it looks more masculine. I'm like, okay, that's cool. So I was going like, child of wrath here, maybe I'm a forearm kind of a thing. And then on the other arm, then I was going to put verse 4. Because you know all those things it says about who I am in verses 1 through 3? Do you know how verse 4 starts? But God. So everything I was in verses 1 through 3, God intervenes and he cancels out all of it in an instant through the work of Jesus. And so on the other arm, it was going to say, but God. As a joke and as an aside, the only reason I've hesitated is I'm like, I've always been a little bit fearful that if I did that and I like lost my right arm in an accident, it would only be child of wrath over here. And it'd be like, <laughs> like really weird. I'd have to like get the other, like, anyways, I'd have to figure it out. I would, but still, that's the only thing that's kind of held me back a little bit. I'm probably going to get that tattoo pretty soon, um, kind of thing. You can ask about me here in the next month or so, and I'll let you know if it's happened or not. But anyways, but that's the idea is before Christ, all that was true of me. But then Christ came into my life and changed me. And here you see it both in uh, 1 Peter 2, but you actually go back to 1 Peter 1. Let me um, show you some verses there that I just think are beautiful and profound. Um, 1 Peter 1.18, you were ransomed. So think ransom. Someone pays a price to buy you back. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but, he's about to say how you were ransomed, how you were bought back, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So Jesus comes. He lives the perfect life you and I cannot live. He dies the death we all deserve to die, but then he's raised to life so that you and I could live and so that everything we were can be erased in an instant. And what is that instance? You see that in 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, word that we saw in chapter 2, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's referring to this moment that we have where we were dead in our sins, but then the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and says, live, come awake. And then we're awakened to faith. The, the way I describe it, because there, there is a, a sense in, in First Peter and throughout of Scripture where there is action that's involved in of us, like we're called to believe and we're called to obey the gospel when we hear it. We're supposed to believe it and to follow Jesus. But here's what I tell people I think is a good idea of being born again and how it's really ultimately by the sheer grace of God that any of us comes to faith. Um, how many people in here are married, have dated someone, engaged, but been in, been in love? How many people have been in love? Okay. Good amount of you. You know. <laughs> 
if you're sitting next to your girlfriend or boyfriend and one raised her arm and the other didn't, I'm so sorry we just had that awkward moment in church. Like, we have counseling services afterwards that we'd love to speak with you with, you know, especially if you're married and you didn't both raise your hands, then it's really awkward. Let us get us back to the Bible. I've like gotten us so off track. Let me pull us back now. Here's the thing, like when you fell in love, did it happen like this? Well, I saw the person, I just said to myself, self, fall in love with her or fall in love with him. Like, did you just make yourself like fall in love? No, what happened? It just came over you. And it was like you were being pulled and drawn and attracted to the person, not because I'm choosing to do this, but because you just felt something welcome in you. I've got almost no other choice than to love them and fall in love with them. That's the picture of how God draws us to himself. When he does the new birth inside of us in this fancy word we like to use called regeneration, he works in our hearts so that before Christ seemed uninteresting to us or even repulsive to us, all of a sudden we are just drawn and can't do anything but love him. And it was the grace of God in you that did that. Isn't that so amazing? Hey, I'll go ahead and stop. Like, I probably should have said this at the beginning. If I had any, if I had like three goals today, it would be this. I want you to see that Jesus is amazing, and I hope you just saw that. I want you to see that you matter, and I want you to see that the church matters. Okay? We just covered the first one. Like, the action of God on us. Jesus is amazing. Everything we were wiped away in an instant by what Jesus did, but then also the work he does in us to bring us to faith. But now we get to the second part of the relationship of God with you and with us, because when you came to faith, not only was your identity apart from Christ erased, you were given a new identity in that exact moment. You became something new, and you became a part of something bigger than yourself. That's where I want to now bring us back to 1 Peter 2.9. And here's what I want to encourage you, and maybe I'll say it for each of these. As I say these things, if they were not on your list of the thing that you wrote at the beginning, I'd encourage you to write them on there. And I'll maybe we'll give you a word or phrase to write as we're talking about this is who you and I are. This is who the church is, yes, but then also if you are part of the church, this is also who you individually are. Verse 9, you are a chosen race. I'm going to go into each of these individually, but maybe just right now write chosen if you're a believer in Jesus. You're chosen. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You can write priest, or if you feel it's more comfortable for you, uh, write mediator. I'll get to that here in a minute and why we put that. You are a holy nation. You can put down holy, or you can put down, I am a part of a holy nation. A people for his own possession. You could write down, I'm his. I'm his. Let's take each of these. I don't have time, unfortunately, to dive into the depths. There's, I joked with Rob. He asked me on a Wednesday or Thursday, how's the sermon going? I'm like, oh, it's great. It's a rich text. Like in four verses, there's 10,000 Old Testament references in it. It's great. You know, how am I going to get this across? And I'm not going to. So I'm going to just give some bits and pieces for each. May just draw out a few things for us. You are a chosen race. So we already got the idea that we're chosen, that God initiated a work in us. But what does it mean by race? Race, the word, um, and I don't always do this, but I think it's actually important here. In the original language this is written in, the word is genus. So if you remember like kingdom, phylum, something, something, order, genus, species, you just judge me, your biology majors out there. Like he didn't remember the, like the, you know, whatever they used to call that in like biology. I didn't. I'm sorry. But you know, a genus, a genus refers to people born into or descended from a common lineage. 
Now, this is interesting because when Peter wrote to these people, he wrote to Christians in all these different locations who were not a part of the same family. They were also not a part of the same ethnicity and race as we would tend to think about it. So, so when he says you're a chosen race, he's not necessarily referring to a specific ethnicity. It's definitely not or race. Instead, they have a common lineage. Well, what was their common lineage? Well, think about it. If all these people who he wrote to have been born again, we saw that in 1 Peter 1.3, the lineage they are part of is God's family. Because when you become a Christian, this word isn't in these. This is not all the extent of who you are. There's other stuff that Scripture says who you are as a believer. One of the things is you become a child of God, and you're in the lineage of God. So when he says you're a chosen race, he's saying you are now a part of the family of God. In fact, I, you know, I will say this, like so much of, this, of these words are pulled from Exodus chapter 19, which if you don't know the context there, um, the people of Israel who were God's people in the Old Testament, he was giving them a covenant and he says, hey, you are my chosen people. So now we as the church are God's people, his family on planet earth. Here's what I will say, because I think this gets into it. You know, I mentioned that the people in the New Testament and today, the people of God, the family of God, were not one ethnicity or race. Instead, they were actually a new race, a new type of people made up of tons of different races and ethnicities. And so I just want to say for us, I don't believe actually anyone here thinks differently, but I need us to at least say out loud. The only race, the only type of people that has superiority, and even then it's not even a superiority, it's just because God in his grace has saved them. There is no ethnicity that is the chosen race. There is no ethnicity or race as we like to think of it that is the ultimate people. At the core of who we are is not our race or ethnicity. At the core of who we are is are we the people of God or not? Now, that does not erase our race and ethnicity. That's so important to say because God created all kinds of different people. And in the book of Revelation, when we're all gathered in heaven together, it says there are people from every tribe and language and tongue. God wants diversity in his people. In any time, any race or any ethnicity begins to make claims that, that would then exclude that diversity is wrong. We want the capital C Global Church to be a diverse people because that's the way God wants it. And because of that, we want that in local churches too. And I'll say amen to myself on that one. Not because I'm awesome, just because that's God's word and he's awesome. Okay? I want to speak. I think that's so important to get clear right now. Okay. So we're a chosen people. God has created a new family that we get to be a part of. And what binds us together is our faith. Not if we're all racially or ethnically the same, but if we have the same faith in Jesus. We're also, though, it says a royal priesthood. Now, what does a priest do? A priest does a lot of things, but in the Old Testament, one of the things when it says that the Israelites were a kingdom of priests is what it says in Exodus 19. What that is referring to is that they did have priests, but they as a nation, as a people, were supposed to be mediators of God to the world. They were supposed to be a light to the nation. And so one of the things that means for us today is that as the people of God, as the family of God, part of our role is to be mediators of Jesus to the world, 
to make disciples that make disciples, that see people, everyone, everywhere, experiencing the gospel. That's what it means for us. I, I think you see this really clearly. It's not going to be on the screen for you, but if you want to write it down, you can go look at it later. Romans 15, 16, Paul says this, God gave me, get this, the priestly duty, so priestly duty, it's his role as a mediator, of what? Of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an acceptable offering to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So part of our role as the people of God is that we are called to mediate God to the world. God wants to use you in your spheres of influence to bring people to Jesus. That's part of who we are. But we're also, it says, a holy nation. Um, I'll just go and say, this one is subversive. Here's why. Is, think about the original context that Peter is writing to here. He's writing to people who live not actually in a nation state that we would think of. That's actually a pretty modern thing of the idea of having geographical boundaries based on nation states and political things and everything. But he's writing to people who are under the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire saw themselves as the nation in the world and everything revolved in life around them. And at their head was a guy named Caesar. And whatever Caesar says goes. And everything is subservient to him. In fact, um, he would have people at festive occasions or even at family meals. He wanted people to bring drinks and basically to offer up a drink in honor of Caesar, whose one of his titles was a son of God. So follow me so far? So basically saying your ultimate allegiance as people needs to be to Caesar, who is a son of the gods. And all of a sudden, this new race, this new people are on the scene, and they're saying our ultimate loyalty is not to Caesar, but to Christ. And that's why you can, this starts to get subversive. And this is why, by the way, even though Christians had a reputation for loving the poor and loving each other and taking practical care of people, they were also persecuted, and it wasn't because they were nice. It was because there was this group of people that had the audacity to say that their ultimate loyalty was not to a nation or to a political party or to a political person, but to King Jesus. It was subversive, but here's what's interesting. It was subversive, but 300 years later, guess what group of people had transformed the Roman Empire from the inside out? Those same people. And you know why? It's because they saw their ultimate loyalty was not to any political party or any person in power, it was to Jesus. And it's got to be the same for us today. So listen, here's, I'm going to say this because I'm like, wait a second, this is getting a little tense here. It's like, this does not mean that Christians are anti-government or anti-nations of any kind. Just a few verses later in 1 Peter chapter 2, he's going to say, be subject to the governing authorities. So that's not what this is about. What this is about is just saying, as we live in governments and under governments, we want to honor them as much as we can, but we also know that our ultimate goal as Christians is not to prop up a government or a party or a policy or anything. It is to lift up Jesus. And we're going to do that as much as we can, and sometimes that may put us at odds against the prevailing culture around us. Okay, moving on. So we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people of his own possession. In Exodus 19, um, the, uh, God tells the people, though all the nations of the world are mine, you are my special chosen people. 
So in other words, like God looks at the world and everyone in the world and every people group in the world, and he says, it all belongs to me. As we like to say around here a lot, there's a, a quote from Abraham Kuyper who said at one point, there is not a square inch over in all creation over which Jesus Christ does not cry out, mine. Everything belongs to Jesus. And yet, amidst everything God has chosen by his grace, not because we are awesome or because the Israelites were awesome in the Old Testament, but by his grace to set his affection in a special way on us that he hasn't on others. Now, this may seem kind of controversial or weird, but I think this is actually more normal than we think. Um, my wife is in here. She was in the last service, and so she won't be embarrassed by me like pointing her out. Here's the deal. As a believer, I believe I'm called to love all of you and love all the world, Right? But I also have a wife that I believe I am called to love in a special way that I don't love all of you. And it would get kind of awkward if I loved all of you that same way, right? And like, that's even the idea. Is like, I'm called to love her in ways that I don't love others. And actually, if I do that, you know what it is? It's adultery. So I'm called to love my wife, and I'm also called to love my kids in a special way that I'm not called to love other people, even though I'm called to love other people. Isn't it interesting then that in the New Testament, do you know what we as the people of God are called a few times? The bride of Christ and his God's children. So God loves all the world and all the world is his, but there is something about us that when he looks at us, we are just special in his eyes. And here's what I want you to hear right now. That means that when he looks at you, you are special in his eyes. That he delights in you. I shared this during a prayer time, I think it was last week, but my kids and I were having a conversation about love and what our love is like versus God's love. And we just talked about how even though we love each other sometimes, like let's just be real, we get tired of each other, right? Like we need a break, we, we need space. I had that moment a few times last week where I was like, I just gotta get in the car and like drive around the block or something. I just needed some space. Do you know God never gets tired of you? Never. Like, even at your worst moments, he's never like, oh, gosh, I'm just done. He's never tired of you. He just loves you. You're his in a special way. It's just incredible, isn't it? This is who we are. Now, let me do this, because, like, I really want to, and I'm, like, I'm tempted now to talk about, okay, now this is what we do, right? Like, because actually, like, the text gets into that. It actually says, like, hey, you are a chosen race, um, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, and it says that. Did you guys catch that? Like, that, meaning purpose, meaning activity, that you may declare his excellencies, okay? It says that, and that's awesome, but I, I really actually am not going to get into it. We're going to get into Daniel. We'll have time to do that. But also, like, I just want us for today to focus on what Jesus has done and who he has made us to be. And, and, but here, here's what I want to end on, just a few things, and then we're going to uh, take communion together. I hope from all that you've heard, even though we didn't really give like, a lot of next steps or activity, I hope you heard Jesus is amazing. You matter. Because, again, if you're a believer in Jesus, all the things that I just said are true of you. But here's what I also do want you to catch. The church matters. Like the capital C church and then the local church matters. Like, well, where did you get that? Here's what I like. Think about it. A chosen race, well, a race, a people, a new family requires more than one person. He said priesthood, meaning a group of priests. A nation is more than one 
person, a people, not just a person, but a people for his own possession. So yes, you as an individual believer, you matter. And the church matters to God too. Like the corporate gathering of people and the corporate collection of people matters to God. And so it should matter, therefore, to us. And, and maybe put it this way. This is a helpful way for me to put it. You and I, we have to follow Jesus for ourselves. Like, you have to follow Jesus for yourself, but you cannot follow him by yourself. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and all of us and Jesus together trying to come together to follow him together and to be the people of God that we just heard about together in this world. So with that said, let me just land the plane on the Who We Are series and uh, we'll go to communion. If you've been in this series and you've heard the different things, even the things that we went over at the beginning when I was kind of laying out the triangle, like if this is like, okay, these are the people I want to be with. Like this is what I want to be a part of and to do. Man, like we want you to like step in, get involved, do things, do activity, but out of an overflow of what Jesus has done for you and who he is, all right? Let that activity flow out of the identity that you heard today. Like jump in, get into community, use your gifts, all that. Like come with us. Like let's go see the vision accomplished and let's go make disciples that make disciples and plant church that plant churches. If you've heard all the things the last few weeks and you want to be a part, awesome, come with us. Let's go, let's do it. If you've heard these things, and this is going to sound really weird and awkward, but I promise you it's not, okay? If you've heard all these things, you're like, man, that's all great. That's just not my vibe. It's not like, I, I, I just I don't feel like this is who I'm called to be a part of. You know what we'll do? And like, I've looked at Pete a few times because it may mean some work for us this week if people take us up on this offer. If this is not the church for you, but like you, you like here's what I'm saying is, we want you to matter somewhere. You matter as a person. But the church matters, so we want you to matter in a local church somewhere. If this isn't the place for you, we will help you find another place. Is that awkward? No, it's not awkward. Because we, like, we, we just believe like you matter. We believe the people of God matter. So if, like, if you like, don't feel like this is the place where you fit in and vibe the best, great, we'll help you find another place. Because we want you a part of a local body somewhere. Because you matter, but so does the church. And so listen, all that being said, if this is your home, let's now move forward together. We're going to have an amazing series in the book of Daniel. I encourage you to be back here to take some next steps. If you want to take some next steps, you can fill out a connect card. You can go to that page. But if not, let us know also in the connect card, and we'll help you find a place because you matter and the church matters. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll do communion together. Jesus, you know, th- th- I will say that, that that verse in that passage does have that that where it says that we may proclaim the excellencies of you who called us out of darkness and into your wondrous light. And so I just want to stop and just say you are excellent and praiseworthy. (laughs) That you are an incredible savior. That all those things that were true of us, it just blows my mind that even though we were your enemies and we were hostile towards you and we preferred everything else in the world besides you, you kept coming after us anyways. We we don't deserve to be your people. We don't deserve to be a royal priesthood. We don't deserve to be a holy nation. But you, by your grace, pursued us. Thank you. You're so excellent. And God, I, I just pray that you would instill from everything we've heard today in this series a love for you, but also a love for your church. And God, I pray that now there'd be ripples effect out of this series. 
I pray that in the coming months and years, we'd see more and more disciples made and churches planted, but not just because we're just doing stuff, but because we're responding to who you are and what you've already done. May it be so. And may you give us the grace to make it so. Amen.